Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, there was a time when Christians uh, used to wear their best clothes to church. You know, the, the outfit, uh, whether it was a, a dress for the ladies or a suit for the blokes, was called their Sunday best. Uh, and I'm not just talking about back, you know, back in the 19th century. Uh, I remember in the early 90s, I was at a church where I was expected um, to wear a shirt and tie. And, and I have to admit, I've, I've got a certain rebellion toward that culture. <laughs> um, I, I mean, part of it just comes from, really? Like, what about the billions of people who cannot afford a dress or a suit? Uh, but let's not focus on other church cultures. Let, let's look in on our own at the point. Have we ever paused to critique our casual dress? Now, don't panic. I'm not going to suggest we come up with a dress code. I, I don't even want to change our culture. I'll continue to wear flannies and jeans in winter and T-shirts and shorts and thongs in the summer. But let's pause and have a bit of a think. Does the point, does our casual dress code come from a casual approach to God and his church? This sermon's not about dress code. You got it? It's not about dress code. But it is about our culture. Does an outsider look in on the point and go, wow, these guys are deadly serious about God? Uh, this is our fourth sermon in the church series. I love the title, Church Enjoying God's Masterpiece. So we've looked at how church is... Uh, described as God's people, uh, we're described as God's kingdom, we're described as God's family. The Bible uses lots of metaphors to describe church and the one that we're picking up this week is God's temple and temple forces us to think seriously about holiness. Uh, here's how we're going to roll out the, the sermon this week as we look at church through the biblical lens as, uh, of temple. Uh, the sermon will firstly look at some Old Testament temple theology. Uh, firstly, we're going to look at some theology of the temple from the Old Testament. Uh, then uh, we're going to take a God's eye view of humanity. How does God look in on people? And then we're going to finish with exclusive inclusive. Did I say that right? Yep, exclusive inclusivity. Um, that's a cool exclusive inclusivity, but it makes no sense right now, does it? It will. As we work through some Old Testament temple theology, then as we have a think about how God views humanity, then we'll get to the exclusive inclusivity. So firstly, our te Old Testament temple theology. And the first thing to know about uh, the temple from the Old Testament is that God told Israel, God told his people to build a temple. And firstly, there was a prototype called a tabernacle. Uh, there it is there in a tabernacle. Uh, before God settled Israel into Canaan, Israel was nomadic. 
And so God designed and told Israel to build a really large tent that they could fold up and take with them as they wandered around. And uh, God was uh, present in this tabernacle and his presence was displayed and manifested through a pillar of cloud. And in the side that temple and right in the in the tabernacle sorry right at the back of it was a special place a very holy place that was said to contain God's special presence no one could go in there God God was especially present in this holy of holy places and then as you can see from this slide the next one um, oh look at that this is the temple now and it looks a whole lot like the tabernacle, just bigger and flashier. And, the, and there's still a holy of holies room where nobody could go into in Solomon's temple. Now, there's a lot more we could say. Go home and read uh, Exodus chapters 25 to 30 uh, for the tabernacle and 1 Kings chapters 6 to 8 for more on the temple. But there's three things that are important for us to know about the Old Testament temple as we think about God's temple in the New Testament. And the first one is that the Old Testament temple represented God's presence with his people. In one sense, God was literally present. I mean, as was evident by the pillar of cloud back in the day. Now, God cannot be contained in a building Uh, As a matter of fact, when Solomon dedicated the temple in prayer, he said as much in 1 Kings chapter 8. However, the Old Testament temple did represent God's presence amongst his people. And then the second thing that we uh, learned from the Old Testament temple is that God is holy and people are sinful. Just like water and oil do not mix Holiness and sin do not mix. Uh, the, the, the barriers and all the sacrifices that happened outside of the temple were a visual and visceral reminder that God is holy and that we are sinful and the two cannot come together. Even though God wants to dwell with his people, there is a broken relationship between God and his people. And the third thing is that temple was extravagant. It was built with the strongest of stones and wood, the richest of metals. It was extravagant. God is mighty and God is worthy of worship. So in summary, three things we should know from the Old Temple, uh, Old Testament temple theology. I should have thought about that one. It's hard to say. A lot of T's. Um, firstly, God longs to dwell with his people. Because of our sin, there's a separation between our sin and God's holiness. And then thirdly, God is mighty and worthy of worship. That was the Old Testament temple theology. Now to God's eye view of humanity. So here's where we're hopping in a plane and we're flying up into the sky so that we can get a God's eye view of the world. uh, And in particular, of people, of humanity. And... You got your Bible open to Ephesians 2, verse 11? This is our main passage for today. Ephesians 2, verse 11. And see how it opens? Therefore. 
I wish we had a, a whole bunch more time this morning. I, I wish I could show you what the therefore is therefore. We could go right back to Ephesians 1 verse 1 and just work our way through and see what has already been said. And, and basically, what, in a summary of what has been already said, is that um, we're sinful. We, we, we deserve hell. That's what God has been saying uh, in Ephesians up until now. Uh, but we've also been hearing that God is merciful. God chooses people to save them. And as you read through Ephesians 1, we, we get these rich theological words like adoption and redemption and election. And, and we see something amazing that God actually does uh, when it comes to our salvation. He secures it. He uh, seals it. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we get to Ephesians 2, and, and then we... It's just really blunt. The first couple of verses of Ephesians 2. We're children of wrath by nature. We follow the devil. But, verse 4, God, who is rich in mercy, saves us. So those who God has elected, he saves and he brings us into the heavenly realm and he has works prepared for us to do. You get to the end of Ephesians 2 verse 10 and there we are singing with the angels the praises of God's glorious grace. Therefore, verse 11, Ephesians 2 verse 11, Therefore, we're now ready after hearing all the privileges. We're ready to hear God's eye view of humanity. We've heard the privileges. Now here's some of the expectations. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, what's going on there? When God views humanity... He always sees his people and those who are not his people or not yet his people. That's the way God views humanity. And in the Old Testament, God started his people, Abraham. And through Abraham becomes a nation, the Jews and the Gentiles. And every other nation is all clumped together in God's view of humanity as the Gentiles, as all the other nations all put together, Jew and Gentile. Now the Jews were circumcised. The non-Jews were uncircumcised. That's what's going on there. Two people groups looking in. And, and that's what the next few verses focus on. Remember that you Gentiles that are now Christians, you were at that time separated from Christ. Yet your history is alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In the Old Testament, God called his people to be different to all the other nations. 
You see, even though there, there are like thousands of different clans and tribes and nations, God looks down and he sees his people and not his people. And God calls his people to be different to all of the other nations. Now, here's the thing. And it's very important that we know this. That was not God creating a nation of snobs. God was not calling Israel to think of themselves as better than all of the other nations. No, God called Israel to be different to the other nations, to show the other nations there's a God and he is better than you could ever imagine. Let's bring all of this together. In the Old Testament, God told his people to build an extravagant, holy temple. Uh, The temple was a sign that God wanted to dwell with people. That people and God couldn't dwell together because of sin. It was also a sign that God is mighty and worthy of worship. Now, that temple was not just to remind Israel of those three truths. It was to remind all of the nations of those three truths about God. That was the Old Testament. And then Jesus came. And listen to what John chapter 1 verse 14 says about Jesus. And the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth the word became flesh and dwelt that word literally means dwelt literally means jesus came and tabernacled amongst us jesus the son of god took on humanity and tabernacled amongst us Have you ever wondered why Jesus said he would destroy the temple but build it in three days? The Old Testament temple was just a shadow pointing to God's real temple. Jesus is God's real temple because Jesus is God dwelling with his people. Jesus is also the final sacrifice that tears apart the dividing curtain between a holy God and sinful people. And Jesus is the mighty, mighty King who saves people and keeps God's people. Jesus fulfills and embodies all three things that are said about the Old Testament temple. And Jesus is the reason there is no longer a distinction between clans and tribes and nations. In the Old Testament, God called his people to build a physical temple in order to show the rest of the world how God wants to dwell with people. God is holy and God is mighty. That's what God did in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus sends his people to go show the people God. There's no longer a physical temple. Church is not a building. But 
Now, are you ready for this? Church is a temple. Let's keep going in Ephesians 2. We haven't finished reading Ephesians 2, have we? Pick it up at verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then, now that Jesus has come and and done his work of uh, the cross, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In the Old Testament, God reminded his people that the rest of, and the rest of the world, that he desires to dwell with his people. But this dwelling couldn't happen. Like, just... That's a rather sanitized view, isn't it? There were daily, there were weekly, there were monthly, there were yearly slaughtering of animal sacrifices. This was a visual and visceral reminder that God cannot dwell with his people, even though God wants to dwell with his people. The relationship between God and humanity is broken. But now... But now, God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us has sent the once and for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ. What a great prayer, Moses. You didn't know where this sermon was headed, but the ending of Moses' prayer was, Dear God, would we see Jesus, the once and all sacrifice for our sins? In Matthew 27, we read that when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple that separated people from God was torn in two. All barriers are now broken through faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, all the barriers, all the sacrifices are finished. You and I and anyone from any nation, from any education background, from any socioeconomic background, from any skin colour, anyone, anyone, anyone can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's eye view of humanity. Those who are his people, those who are not his people. And Jesus came to prove that God's offer of salvation is for anyone. And so we now turn to our final point, exclusive inclusivity. Uh, So far we've seen that church, it's not a physical building, but it is a temple. We were told that we're a temple. Jesus, who is the New Testament temple, is also building a temple. Not a temple of stone and wood and gold. It's a temple of his people. You see, Jesus is still in the business of showing the world that God is holy, is strong, and wants to dwell with his people. 
And instead of a fancy building where bloody sacrifices were offered all the time, the temple is now a collective people built through a once and for all bloody sacrifice. We're going to read Ephesians again. Ephesians 2 verse 19. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Because Jesus is the perfect once and for all sacrifice, God's people no longer butcher and burn bulls. We don't get together, do we? We don't put out a fire and start offering animal sacrifices. That's not what we do. But we do come together. We must come together to remind each other of the glory and the beauty and the holiness of Jesus, our once and for all sacrifice. And as we feast on the wonder of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is growing us to be more like Jesus. And this growing, what the Bible often calls this sanctifying work of God, is not primarily a work in individual people. It's a work in a collection of people. We are the temple. God is growing us in holiness. As a local church, the point is a reflection of God, Jesus' universal church. We are being built into Jesus' holy temple. Do you see that in verse 21? Holy temple. And now remember, holy means separate. It means to be set apart, and in particular to be set apart for God's morality, God's purity, doing right instead of wrong. Jesus is setting us apart as holy people. Brothers and sisters, we should stand out as holy. That's the exclusive part of this heading. Stand out not by wearing our Sunday best. Although this is my Sunday best. It's at least my Sunday favourite, I guess. I love the flanning. You know, Jesus used some of his harshest rebukes for religious leaders who loved to wear fancy clothes, but their heart was far from God. Jesus is making us holy from the inside. Jesus is transforming us into a people that lean into holiness and righteousness and justice and love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control Jesus is growing us in the fruit of the Spirit, in the ways of God. But, and this is so important again, Jesus is not telling us to exclude people. 
anyone, anyone, anyone can come to Jesus and have a relationship with their maker. Exclusive inclusivity. The temple metaphor for church, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, if only it was about Sunday best. It's easy to put on your Sunday best. It's even easy to turn up for a couple of hours and put on your best behaviour. But it's not about clothes. It's not about pretending. Jesus is in the business of sanctifying his people. We are his temple. And so the first take home for this week is Jesus is growing us in holiness. We are his temple. The Bible word for this growth is sanctification and sanctification is a process. Uh, the the um, alcohol and drug recovery groups, they get this better than most uh, of us Christians get this. Uh, they, they will appoint a sponsor for every member. And, and one of the things that a sponsor and a candidate are trained in is, is to know that a relapse might happen and the desire to relapse definitely will. And instead of getting all down about that reality, no, no, they, they recognise it because it is about progress, not perfection. They count and number the days. Brothers, sisters... Jesus is growing us in holiness. And it's a process. It's a progress, not perfection. Perfection is going to come when Jesus comes back. Which leads me to my second take-home for this week. Brother, sister, our sponsor is Jesus Christ. He's our sponsor. And he's not just helping us Number the days, count the days. He cleanses us. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. One John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'll just read verse 7 again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It is so tempting for us to drop holiness from our discipleship. I mean, after all, holiness, the, the word, as we've been reminded, literally means set apart. It, it, it means exclusive. What, what are we saying? We're better than non-Christians? No. That was never God's intent in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. You know, John Newton's uh, saying, I'm a great sinner who has a great saviour. This is... Humbling, this language of uh, holiness is humbling. The Apostle Paul would say, he's the chief among all sinners. We're sinners. We are. We need to talk about holiness. And, and the other reason it's uh, tempting to drop the language is um, just 
Some of the lies we've been fed from therapy culture over the last couple of decades where all guilt and shame is seen as bad. It's not true. If guilt and shame is going to cause me to confess and repent and believe the truths of Jesus Christ, isn't that a good guilt and shame? And brothers and sisters, like this is... The Christian walk every day. Remember the Christian waltz? Three steps. Confess. Repent. Believe. We're great sinners who have a great saviour. And so we confess. Dear God, I've done it again. I am so sorry. We repent. Dear God, would you please, in the power of the Holy Spirit, help me to turn from that and see your beautiful ways are so much better. Oh, indeed, God, would you help me believe that I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm clean. Jesus' New Testament temple is grand. It is beautiful. It is powerful. Not because we're special. But Jesus is. Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Not some sin, not certain types of sin, not a certain number of sins, and ooh, then it's all over to you. All sin. Wow. And, and once we get this, we see that the beauty of temple, it is glorious and wonderful. We look in on the New Testament temple and what Jesus is doing for his people. And we want to cry out with David. Remember Psalm 27 that was just read for us? One thing, one thing I ask of the Lord. It's one thing I seek after. I, I chase this with just a happy desire. There's some things we desire that you know, we're just like, oh, am I going to get there? This one thing we can be confident in. I chase this. This is one thing I ask of the Lord. To dwell in the house of the Lord all my day. To gaze upon his beauty. To inquire in his temple. It's going to be a great day, isn't it? And right now, brothers and sisters, we are his temple. Not perfect, but Jesus is perfecting us. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, um, you're holy. And there, there's a sense in which we should recoil. But we also thank you and we praise you that you have sent your Son to bring us into your presence. Oh, Father, would we um, be a people who love to gaze on your beauty, uh, particularly Jesus, who is our Saviour, who is our King, 
who is our rescuer. So, Father, would we be a people who confess and repent and believe? Would we fellowship with one another? Would we help each other do that? Keep growing us as your temple so more and more people can hear your gospel. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.